You are now listening to the London International Christian Church Podcast. Good morning, church. Okay, that sounds a little bit more like God's church right there. I, uh, I'm so encouraged to be here today, and uh, prayerfully the Spirit has something to say to you through the Word of God today. Uh, of course, we have a few people that we missed there that uh, I saw in the fellowship. Uh, of course, our sister, uh, my mother in the faith, Kath Corrigan, is back from her missionary travels right there. She was at our church there in New York City right there, and uh, so she's come back in town. And uh, So I, I haven't got a chance to give my mom a hug right there, but uh, that's how the kingdom is. You know, you can be uh, uh, African-American and have an Irish mom right there. That's the kingdom. We just, you know, you have those kind of moms. But uh, that was very encouraging. And it was also encouraging to meet someone visiting with us that found us online today. She hails all the way from uh, California right there. Of course, that's Pam Jackson that's come to worship with us today right there. And uh, if you don't know who Pam is, she's kind of the devonair, uh dashing uh, woman in the front there. She's kind of very classy. And uh, she says, you know, today is my day to come and be in the presence of God. So uh, if you see her in the fellowship, wrap your arms around her. Uh, make sure she feels at home. Uh, it's just great to be here with the church to worship today. Amen? Amen. Genesis chapter 28. The title of the lesson is the presence of God. The presence of God. Genesis chapter 28. We're going to look at a few of my favorite scriptures. And, uh, you know, hopefully all the scriptures are your favorite. About God's presence. And really, that, that's really what it's all about. Being in the presence of God. Feeling the presence of God. Knowing the presence of God is with God's people. In Genesis chapter 28. Of course, Jacob says this here. I, I, I love this. This is He falls asleep, and in verse 16, it says, When Jacob woke up from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. He was afraid, and he said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. And the church said, yeah. By faith, that's how you believe this morning. You believe this is the house of God. You believe you've come to stand in the presence of God Almighty right there. Of course, in Psalm chapter 16 and verse 11, it says, Make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasure at your right hand. See, see, the psalmist says the person that is in the presence of God has joy in their heart. They've got joy in their lives. And so we understand right away, if you are missing joy, you may not be in the presence of God. Psalms 34, verse 18. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them in all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. And saves those who are crushed in spirit. And the church said, you go, well, hold on, preacher. I don't have any joy. I'm, I'm crushed in spirit right there. I'm down. I'm going through things. Well, don't you lose heart because the Lord is close. His presence is close when your heart is broken right there. Oftentimes we think, oh, God must not be with me because my heart's broken. No, God's with you. Even when your heart is broken. He is close to those who are crushed in spirit. Psalms chapter 100. I love this one. In verse 2. Shout for joy to the Lord. All the earth. Verse 2. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful song. Know that the Lord is God. 
It is he who made us. We are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. And the church said, he says right here, shout for joy to the Lord. Now, he doesn't say shout for joy to the Lord, all those who are in California. All those who are in Nigeria. All those who are in Ireland. He says all the earth. That means even here in London. We got to shout for joy to the Lord. So we're just going to, we're going to practice that right there. Amen. So we're going to stand on up, shake off the the, the, the snow and everything right there. And then we're going to shout for joy to the Lord right here. We're just going to say, Lord, we love you. Okay. Now let's do that in unison on the count of three. One, two, three. Lord, we love you. That's my church right there. Amen. We've got to shout for joy to the Lord. You know, it's uh, it's so awesome to be with the disciples. Uh, it's so awesome to be with God's people. It's awesome to be in the presence of God. And 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 so, you know, that that's really what we are going to highlight today. Today, we are going to be studying out a few books in the Bible that are some of my favorite books. They're they're they're, they're books that help me to shake off everything. When when I start getting confused. I don't know my way, and I just, okay, wait a minute. I I just got to get back focused in on God. I got to get my eyes off my marriage. I got to get my eyes off my ministry. I got to get my eyes off the individual friends I have, I do not have. I got to get my eyes off my finances. I got to get my eyes off everything. I got to focus in on God and God alone. And so we're going to go through these books right here. They are awesome books. And by faith, you are able to focus in on the presence of God. You are able to get focused in on God. Because if if, whatever you're doing, if it's not for the glory of God, you're in trouble. You you are in trouble. You may not get in trouble right away. But let me tell you something. You are headed for some trouble. If you're not doing it because of wanting to be in the presence of God. Turn on over to 1 Samuel. Chapter 4. Of course, 1 Samuel is such a powerful book. 2 Samuel as well. We understand that this book was written during a time where, 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 hey, there there were some challenges. God's people had forgotten the presence of God in a sense that the presence of God always went before God's people before they did anything. We know that because Joshua didn't do anything unless the Ark of the Lord's Covenant was ahead of him, leading him on into whatever battle he did. And of course, because of that, God gave them great victory. We come to 1 Samuel where some things start to get a little, 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 little challenging because God's people had, had, had started to, to get disobedient. They started to get, they, they started to get not focusing on God. We had the time of the book of Judges. Of course, the word judge means leader. And so that, of course, is a time where, where, where God's, God had to raise up these different leaders to call people's focus back in on the presence of God. And we come to a time where we're going to transition to that last judge, that last leader. Of course, his name was Samuel. Now, we know how the book of 1 Samuel starts. In in chapter 1, it talks about the birth of Samuel and uh, how he came on in right there. He came on in that little baby right there. Hannah and Peninnah, they had their issues with each other right there. Uh, And, of course, once Hannah got her heart focused in on God, he gave her that child. 
Of course, we heard the great testimony from our sister uh, Jeanette Grinwald, uh, I believe it was about a week ago, and uh, just praying for the Lord to bring her a child. And we know she's pregnant right now, right there. She's got that pregnant glow on her face right there. Amen. Of course, chapter two, Hannah gets very, very grateful to the Lord. She prays on out. Chapter three, the Lord calls Samuel. He's a little boy. See, the little boys are called right there. The little kids are called by God. I, I, I was so appreciative of seeing all the children sitting right there in church. Not on the iPad or in the back on their phone, but in church, in the house of the Lord. Seeing that they need to be standing in the presence of God right along with us right there. I got to lift up some of the mothers in the house right there that made sure that that happened. That was awesome. Of course, God ministers to Samuel. We come to a particular time that sadly is a sad part of Israel's history. God's people's history. The time where... God's presence wasn't felt. The glory that was in God's house had departed. The glory was gone. And God said, I've got to send a man to call the people back to focus in on God. That was Samuel. But we'll pick up the reading in chapter 4, verse 1. Point number 1. Using God or serving God. Now the Israelites went out to fight against the Philistines. Of course, the Israelites represent the people of God, the Christians. Are you with me here? Since they went out to fight against the Philistines, the enemies, the Israelites camped at Ebenezer, Philistines at Aphek. Philistines deployed their forces to meet Israel. And as the battle spread, Israel was defeated by the Philistines who killed about 4,000 of them on the battlefield. When the soldiers returned to the camp, the elders of Israel asked, what sin have we gotten into that God has brought defeat on us? Is that what they say? No, they say what we all say. (laughs) They say what we all say when we are not winning the battles of life. We blame God. Why did the Lord bring defeat upon us today before the Philistines? He says, let us bring the ark of the Lord's covenant from Shiloh so that it may go with us and save us from the hand of our enemies. Hold on. Okay, now you've gotten a defeat. Now things aren't going so awesome. Okay, let's bring God back on into the picture. You ever been right there? Yeah. yeah. Things get bad. Things aren't really well. Okay, let's, okay I, I guess I need to come to church. Husband won't listen to me anymore. Now it's time to get focused in on the Lord. Let me bring the wife on this. Now it's time. To, I mean, that, that's where they were at. They weren't worshiping. Even right here, it sounds awesome. They were using God. Yeah. You realize you can use God? Yeah. You realize no one wants to be used? No one likes being used. Sadly, I think about all the the young women that are being used for abuse online, the pornography, and how women can be used. How young men, sadly, are being used. No one likes being used. And that's what they're doing. Okay, well, we had to let's bring the ark back right now. Why didn't you have the ark right there before you even went into the battle? That is exactly what history records as how Israel won. And right here, they knew of Joshua. They knew of Moses. They knew of the men who won the battles for the Lord, that the ark of the Lord, the presence of God, went before anything that they did. I 
know you have a conviction to make sure that it is God leading you everywhere you go. Verse 4. So the people went, sent men from Shiloh. They brought back the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord Almighty, who was enthroned between the cherubim, and Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. When the Ark of the Lord's Covenant came into the camp, all Israel raised such a great shout that the ground shook. Okay, we got to stop right there. Now they realize they got to bring the, they got to be spiritual. And the Bible just says they just did a loud shout, kind of like what we did just a few minutes ago right there, amen? <laughs> Doesn't matter how loud you shout. Loud proclamation doesn't mean you have a loud faith in God. Just because you say it means nothing to God. And I, I can imagine this cranking church service where they're excited. The ark is coming back and they get shot. They get fired up. But they were still using God and not serving God. Let's find out what happens. uproar the Philistine asked what is all this shouting in the Hebrew camp when they re- when they learned that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp the Philistines these are the enemies of God they were afraid oh, God is coming to the camp they said we're in trouble nothing like this has happened before woe to us who will deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods they are the gods who struck the Egyptians with all kind of plagues in the desert. Be strong, Philistines! Be men! Or you'll be subject to these Hebrews as they have been to you. Be men and fight! So the Philistines fought. And the Israelites were defeated. And every man fled to his tent. They get defeated and everybody's just, I, I got to go home. I, just, I, I, I gotta stay home, stay in my little tent, stay in my house, don't want to go out and really be in the battle anymore. I'm defeated, I'm gonna stay at home. That, that's what happened with God's people. The ark of God was captured. Wow. The enemy stole the presence of God from God's people. You, you realize what that's teaching there? You realize the enemy can steal the presence from, of God in your life? He can steal it from you. If you are only using God and you are not serving God. He can steal the presence of God in your heart. He can steal it. The enemy can take it right away. And when one looks at your life, they do not see the presence of God. I, I had to wrestle with this for myself. This lesson is as much for everybody here today as it is for me. I started looking at my life and the sins that were coming out, the pride and the issues. And I started, where is God at? <laughs> Where's the presence of God? Not the presence of pride, impurity, criticality. You, you, what are you? <laughs> I, I had to wrestle with that and go, where's God at? I mean, if God was a critical God, we wouldn't be disciples. We got a lot to criticize, do we not? If God was a proud God, we wouldn't be disciples. He could easily be a proud God. 
I just had to get humble and say, I got to get my eyes back focused on God. I've got my eyes focused on everything but God. And the enemy has stole God's presence in my life. Can you relate to that? Is that you this morning? Is the presence of God in your quiet time? Do you have a quiet time where you, you feel the Holy Spirit speak directly to you? about what you need to work on to be a better Christian, what you need to do to be a sold-out disciple, what you need to do to be an incredible leader that draws people to focus in on God. What did the Lord say to you today? Not a book written by some man who's gotten his own conviction. What did the Holy Bible say to you today? I'm not putting down books. Books are great. Books are awesome. No book is greater than this book. And when we start, the enemy can steal the presence of God from our lives. The enemy can steal the presence of God from our lives. What else happened? Verse 11. The ark of God was captured and Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, died. Oh, my goodness. The leaders die right here. That same day, a Benjamite ran from the battle line, and he went to Shiloh, his clothes torn, dust on his head. He arrived, when he arrived, there was Eli sitting on the chair by the side road, watching because his heart feared for the ark of God. When the man entered the town and told what happened, the whole town sent up a cry. Now, this is very important because when you study out the book of 1 Samuel, this Benjamite that runs from the battle is a young man that we would later in the book of 1 Samuel come to find out is King Saul. And so we learn that if you run from battles as a young man, you're not going to necessarily defeat them when you get older. Because this was exactly what hurt Saul when he got older as a Christian. As a young man, he ran from the battle. And when it came to fighting Goliath, he ran again. The running consisted of him just standing there and doing nothing. If you're a young disciple, you're a young man, you're a young woman. The battles you face right now, if you don't overcome, you'll run from them later on in life. You don't learn to love God more than you love a man. Let me tell you something. When God does give you that man, you'll love him more than God and your marriage will be a wreck. If you're a young man, you don't know, learn to love God more than you love the internet and the impurity and all that stuff, your marriage will be a wreck. Your wife won't trust anything you do. You run from the battle that God has put in your life right now as a young person, you're going to face some consequences of that. This is the reason why it, made, it was challenging for me to become a Christian. It wasn't about God for me. It was, I, I ran from battles. That's why I was so promiscuous. Pornography, daily. Masturbation, that was, I thought that was normal. After all, Oprah says it's normal. It must be normal. That's, that, that's just how I live my life. It was wicked. I ran. I, I didn't I just The Christians got in my life and they started pointing out things. I ran. I, I got out of there. This is why I have such a respect for some of the young people that we have in the church. Some of the disciples, that they, they don't run for They run to the battle. They don't run from it. They run to the battle. Are you guys with me right here? Let's keep going. Verse 17, Eli asked him, what happened, my son? The man who brought the news replied, Israel fled before the Philistines, and the army has suffered heavy losses. Also, your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead, and the ark of God has been captured. 
When he mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell backward off his chair by the side of the gate. His neck was broken and he died, for he was an old man and heavy. He had led Israel for 40 years. See, Eli had just didn't watch his diet right there. His daughter-in-law, the wife of Phineas, was pregnant and near the time of delivery. When she heard the news that the ark of God had been captured and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she went into labor and gave birth, but was overcome by her labor pains. As she was dying, I want you guys to look, focus in on this lesson right here. This woman is... Most women that I know, most sisters that I know, they, 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 they feel the presence of God when God has put that little seed in there and given them that child. And it's, it's just it's an amazing thing that happens in a family when God sees you have enough love to, to, to sustain a child and he gives you that baby. And it's awesome that we have, we've had so many babies here, have we not? I, I don't know how many babies we've had in the church, but we've had a lot of babies right there. Um, but what's so powerful about this woman? Although she, she, she was given this child from God, her heart was more focused on the kingdom of God than on her kids. How do we know that? Bold statement. Well, let's, let's find out. It says in verse 19, it says his daughter-in-law, the wife of Phineas who was pregnant and near the time of delivery. When she heard the news that the ark of God had been captured and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she went into labor and she gave birth but was overcome by her labor pains. As she was dying, the woman attended her said, Don't despair, you have given birth to a son. But she did not respond or pay attention. She named the boy Ichabod, saying, The glory has departed from Israel because of the capture of the ark of God and the death of her father-in-law and her husband. She said, The glory has departed from Israel for the ark of God has been captured and the church said this woman was more focused on the glory in God's kingdom than on her kids she had more spiritual insight than all of them she just called it what it really was the glory has that's what Ichabod means the glory has departed of course you always got to ask yourself has the glory really departed from your life is God's glory manifest in your life has the glory departed? Is the fear of the Lord with you? Do you take the fear of the Lord wherever you go? Yeah, it's so great when you share your faith in London. When you share your faith anywhere, it's great. But what's, what's awesome is, you know, I, I share my faith at uh, where I work out, a fitness facility. And, I mean, these are the biggest guys. They, they got the muscles right here. Muscles on muscles. They're walking around. They're so strong. There's this one guy. Um, he doesn't, you know, he, he sees me, I see him, and I'm working out, he's working out, and sometimes he kind of works out a little harder, and I, and I see him working out harder, and I say, okay, amen. Uh, and, and, and this last week, he, he came, he worked out, he's a little bit bigger than me, he worked out real hard and got like this over me, like this. And uh, I said, okay. And I, I go, hey, man, I got critical, but, you know, if you spot it, you got it. You know, that, that's me. That's who I was, walking around in the gym without God, trying to be all cool. And uh, I said, hey, I want to talk to you about Jesus. <laughs> the muscles went. <laughs> it just became this little guy. <laughs> he started scattering. <laughs> it was hilarious. It was hilarious. Then another guy I shared with, he saw me talk. He pretended he didn't, you know. He saw me talking to him, and he saw, he was looking over there, and then when he saw this guy kind of get, he looked away real quick. And then, yeah. Another guy, he, he, the, the fear of the Lord is in that gym. Yeah. 
they see me. They just say, oh, here he, here comes that guy. He's going to talk to me about Jesus. Is the fear of the Lord wherever you go? Are you a woman who elicits the fear of God? At your job, people walk in, they stop cussing because they know a Christian woman has walked on in. You're a young girl on campus, people know you're going to call them to, to a standard. Sometimes when people don't like us, we, we stop being bold. The presence of God is with us, and we don't like that. We want the presence of people with us. We want people to like us more than we want God to love us. And we fail to have the presence of God have any effect in our life because we care too much about what people think. Do you take the fear of God wherever you go? On your campus, in your home, you take it with you. We need to fear the Lord. Are you guys with me here? We need to fear the Lord. Now, this is, this is so, so powerful, so many lessons to be learned right here. But they were using God instead of serving God. When that happens, one has to argue and ask, is really the presence of God with someone? I, I love what David had to say in Psalms chapter 51. If you can flip on over there really quickly, we'll come on back. You guys still with me? Yeah. Psalms chapter 51. As a young Christian, I, I actually said, what can you learn in the Psalms? <laughs> pride on top of pride. The longer I stay a disciple, I go, what can't you learn in the book of Psalms? David says this in Psalms 51, verse 10. Creating me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit in me. Your spirit is steadfast. You don't you don't think about it. Remember when you got baptized, you made the decision to become a Christian. And evangelism wasn't labor. You didn't pick the person apart. You didn't try to size up whether they're open or not. You you had that steadfast spirit. Boom. Hey, want to invite you? Hey, want to share the gospel? Hey, want to study with you? David says, "Create in me a pure heart." Why his heart stopped being pure? happens to a lot of us, happens to all of us. If it happened to a man after God's own heart, can it happen to every single individual sitting in this room today? Absolutely. You can have an impure heart in your relationship with God. Where your heart isn't right, you're using God. You're not really serving God. And David said, create it. I mean, there's a lot of ways you can create that pure heart. Number one, getting in your Bible. Number two, getting some discipling, having someone with an objective view of your life get into your life and tell you the truth from God's word. Don't disciple yourself. You, you, you'll mess up. We tell people that when we study, but guess what? We get baptized, and that's what we do. We, we do it to ourselves. We say, hey, you need someone else to disciple you, but then we get baptized, and we, you, you go into D time, and you want to tell your disciple everything that you, you need to work on. That's not a pure heart. That's not trusting the man or the woman that God's put in your life. He says, renew a steadfast spirit in me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. That's, that's the, that right there is probably the scariest, one of the scariest scriptures for me. I, I don't want the spirit of God taken away from me. That's all I have. I don't want God's presence taken. The presence of the Lord taken. I'm, I'm having a quiet time and I don't feel the presence of God. That's scary. I'm reading the very word of God, and I don't feel the presence of God. Something's wrong with me, not God. I'm coming to church, standing.
standing in the presence of men and women who have gone in, who've given up everything. And I don't see God in their lives. I just see their faults. I just see their weaknesses. We had this incredible time this week with a couple I love very much, Martin and Teresa Scott. Now, Martin and Teresa Scott, they're incredible. Martin's a... He's, a, he's our fighting Irish right there. And, uh, of course, uh, Teresa Scott right there, she, she's, a, she's, a, she's, a, she's a fighting Irish right along with him right there. And uh, we had an incredible discipleship time. We got in there and, 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 and talked about some, some heavy things and, and, and really gave them some discipling and some encouragement. And, and, you know, it was interesting, one of, one of, you know, just their sharing. You know, Teresa's sharing was just so polished, so mature, so real, so honest. Martin says, you know, he just he just burst into tears right there. And he, he thought, this what's wrong with me? I'm, I'm in tears. I'm not so strong. We said, bro, what's right with you? That's where we're all supposed to be. Realizing we are weak and we don't want God's Holy Spirit taken from us. We're deathly afraid. Martin was sharing and he was deathly afraid of his faith being taken from him. That kind of, when you have that kind of heart, God will use you. You're so confident you don't think God will take his spirit. He'll take his spirit from you. He'll take his spirit from a Bible talk. He'll take his spirit from a movement. He'll take his spirit from a church. If you don't have a pure heart, we've got to serve God. We've got to not use God. I'm so fired up about our brothers and sisters in Los Angeles, California. Uh, I got to share good news of what's going on over there uh, that highlights the presence of God. They say uh, God blessed us this week with 13 additions, two restorations and 11 baptisms in Los Angeles, California. Of all of these marvels, perhaps the most exciting to Elena and me was the baptism of, of our dear friend Lisa Davis, the principal of George Washington Elementary School in Compton, California. One of our South Central Mercy schools that have been founded. Of course, we all, we are as a church, we're part of a benevolent arm called Mercy Worldwide. We're privileged to have the international director here with us, Blaze Fumba right there, who leads Mercy Worldwide. Amen. This is a woman who now has become a Christian based off some of the efforts that we provided to that school. So she's not only going to help us with mercy in California, she's a Christian. She's a disciple. What a powerful testimony of God's presence in mercy. Says the City of Angels Church also has a basketball league. Uh, This second weekend was equally encouraging. As our initial week, uh, here are the results of the basketball game. South Central region is the Bulls. They came from behind and defeated the Heat. That's the Central and the East region. says the unmanned Celtics, the South region, overcame the powerful Lakers, the AMS region right there. Amen. says the Orange County region subdued the Thunder, which was the West region right there. We are having an incredible time being family. But here's the good news that really, really is moving. Chris Klopek, who leads our AMS ministry. AMS stands for Art, Media, and Sport. Of course, a lot of actors, uh, people that are in the modeling industry and, and sports and stuff like that. It says, greetings from the AMS region. Jesus' charge to the healed demo- demonic was go to your home and to your family and tell how much the Lord has done for you and how much he has had mercy on you. Mark chapter 5, verse 19. Our Lord has done such amazing things in the AMS as of today. Our neighbor, Terry, just got 
baptized. Sonia and I met Terry and his wife, Debbie, almost three years ago when we moved to our new house. Eight months ago, his sister-in-law, Karen, who lives in Terry's back guest house, was also baptized. One month ago, Debbie was baptized. I think the scriptures in Acts chapter 16, verse 33 through 34, at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his family were baptized. He was filled with joy and had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. I think that scripture is fulfilled today. We now have three disciples living across the street from us. One disciple next door to us. Also, Jonathan, who is a bankruptcy lawyer, was baptized as well today. He is a friend of another attorney friend. To witness his friend, he's friends of another attorney friend of his, witnessed his baptism. We are so proud of the brothers here in here in Los Angeles, California, who have worked very, very, very hard. We're also proud of Joe Willis and Richard Lewis, our brothers, who ran a marathon to raise money for special missions contribution. Joe raised over $2,000 U.S. dollars just last week alone. Lastly, Danny Drew and Rebecca Bach are offering are officially engaged to be married. Out of respect, Danny flew all the way to New York City to ask for her hands, her hand in marriage through her parents. Much blessing to God be all the glory. Amen. That's the presence of God. Amen. People getting baptized. People sharing faith. People dating and getting married. Money being raised. Old guys running marathons. That's the presence of God. Motivating those brothers and sisters to do great things for God. We've got to be motivated to serve God and not use God. Let's go back to 1 Samuel. You guys still with me here? Desperation should produce... Hard work and courage. Desperation produces hard work and courage. First Samuel chapter 4. We're going to pull one more lesson out of that chapter and then we're going to get to our close here. This is a very powerful lesson. I, I've never seen this before. This is the first time I've, I've read First Samuel 4, I don't know how many times, and I've never really, really got it. Uh, of course, in chapter 4, we have... The Philistines who who, who kind of win that victory right there. And, of course, in verse 9, it says, Be strong, Philistines, be men, or you will be subject to the Hebrews as they have been to you. Be men and fight. And then we know what happens. They get the victory. Their desperation produced hard work and courage. You know, oftentimes we think we as the people of God who have the presence of God with us, we're out, we're the ones that teach all the lessons. But right here, it's God telling us there are lessons that we can learn from those who are not even close to God. God will send someone into your life sometime who isn't even a disciple just to teach you a few things about him. And therein lies God using his glory. He's saying everybody's got something to learn from me. Now, the Philistines were out of touch because they never submitted and never, never submitted to God. But on the other hand, we learn a powerful lesson that you can actually win a victory through hard work, courage, desperation, and persistence. That's how they won the victory. They were more hardworking. They were more persistent. They were desperate. You hear them. They got desperate. And that desperation produced courage. 
Courage produced hard work. And that hard work produced the victory. You know what we do? We fall into the trap that everybody falls into. I'm a Christian. God's presence is with me. Don't need to work hard anymore. I mean, God. God God will do it. God God will make a disciple. God doesn't make disciples. God does not make disciples. He only saves them. Crucify that in your mind. Get that out of your heart. It is non-biblical. God does not make Christians. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 through 20. says, go and make disciples. And then God says, I will save them. You make a disciple, I'll save them. I'll save them. Are you desperate? Has the glory departed? Are you desperate in your quiet time? Are you desperate in your Bible talk? Are you desperate? Does that desperation produce a courage, a hard work where, where the odds are against you and you say, we're still going to do it? You know, we had our, our bucket shaking yesterday. We went out to raise money to hire people, young people, to work for the church and to raise money for the church. And uh, I woke up in the morning at about 8.30 and I looked outside and I was it was snowing out there. <laughs> Laying in bed with my awesome, beautiful, lovely wife there, and, you know, and, you know, she gets up, you know, Michelle, she's all chipper, all fired up. Hey, babe, just want to let you know it's snowing outside. Would you like some tea? I get up, and I, and, I, and I walk over to the window, and it's not snowing. It is a storm. It is freezing out there. Big, huge chunks of ice are coming down, breaking cars and all that. No, I'm not just joking, but it was, it was terrible. I was like, isn't this springtime? Yeah. Then I started looking up the research. The worst March in 27 years is what we're facing. This is the coldest it's been in 27 years in March in, in Europe. It has never been this bad. And I just started going, and of course, you know, we're going to go out to shake buckets and ask for funds. And, it, and I go, okay, well, maybe it's snowy. Maybe it's not so cold. I walk out there, and I just turn into a little chocolate icicle thing right there. Oh, no. The night before, we, were, we, were, we had a long meeting. I was tired. And I just went, what, what? You know, you have those moments like, what am I doing this for? Yeah. <laughs> you forget there when you just, why am I doing this? Am I doing this for the disciples? Nope. <laughs> They're awesome, but not that awesome. <laughs> I mean, I love you guys. I just love God a little bit more. Perfectly, that's your conviction. Yeah. And so I go, no, nah, this isn't for the people. Is it for my wife? No, she's staying at home. She's going to be hanging out, her and me at Grace right there, having tea. <laughs> I do this because I love God. Amen. And you know what? This is a test from God. God, you are just testing us. You are testing me. We are going. We are going. We're going out on the street yeah. in the freezing cold, and we're asking people to give us money. Amen. To build God's church. That's what we're going to do. And I got up and I put on my stuff and I got ready to go. It started snowing worse. I just said, who cares? Then I got the text from all the sold out disciples. Bro, you, and you know how you get a text where it's really asking you to not do something? <laughs> Bro, are we still having the bucket shake? Dot, 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 dot. <laughs> 
text number two. You sure we're having the bucket shake? Dot, 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 dot. Text number three, a sister. Did you know it was snowing, bro? Dot, dot. Of course I know it's snowing, bro. After about the fifth disciple that texts me, are we going out? We are going out there, guys. We're going out. We're going to be on the street. And we got out there, and it was terrible. It was freezing. It was cold. My hands were numb. And we still, we raised about 311 pounds right there. About three to four hours. I just want to lift up the disciples that put in the hard work and went out there. It was awesome. But God still teaches you a lesson. I think God was teaching the Israelites a lesson through the Philistines right here. We got done collecting all the money for our bucket shake. This is a true story. A man walks up to me who was homeless. Of course, I'm sitting with all the Christians, and we're kind of basking in the glory of what we've raised, and we're all sharing the stories. And, you know, we got Jockey sharing his story. He's, you know, Jockey's hardline. He's, he's South African, so everything he does is hardline. He just, he's just, he's radical. Everybody else got coats on. Jock has got a T-shirt out there. You know, he's just, like, bold. He's going for it. You know, I'm freezing like there. Two leads all excited. It was, you know, we're sharing our stories. And, and I, I didn't look like the leader, and so a guy just kind of, a homeless guy comes up to me, and he says, You know, kind of with that little, like that, that little thing that brothers do, brother, brother, you know, we do that to each other, you know, so he says, brother, you got some money? Can you, can you give me? And I kind of look at everybody and nobody's looking at me and it's just me and him. And you know how it is. I just, every negative thought, this, he's going to use it for drugs. He's going to, and I go, why are you doing this, Michael? Come on, man. It's not for you to judge this man. You, you were homeless. Don't you remember when you were 14 years old and you were homeless, you were on the street? Do you remember that? And it forced you to focus it on God. Do you remember that? I started talking myself out of being critical of this man. I looked at him and I just said, no matter what he's going to use it for, who am I? The Bible says you can entertain an angel and not know it. I rich him up. I gave him more than what he asked for. So then he goes to Jamal. He asked Jamal for somebody. He goes to another disciple. He goes to all the disciples. He gets, and then I started, I was like, okay, wait a minute here. What's this dude? He's asking everybody. He collects from all the disciples. They all good hearting. They just give. Some of them looked at me first and said, okay, Mike's giving. I'm giving. Okay. I saw some of you right there. But then the rest of them, they gave. Some good hearted. So then he goes to everybody in the restaurant. He goes to this person. Goes to that person. Goes to the front of the restaurant. Starts collecting money. Everybody. I forgot about him by this time. On his way out, he's walking out. He looks at all the disciples. He puts all the money back into our bucket. And walked out. That was God. That was God teaching us this right here. I will test you. I don't, don't, don't you approach me trying to use me. That's what the Philistines were doing. Bring the ark back. We just want the victory. We don't want to love God more than the victory. Just bring the, bring the, bring the, bring the ark back. And God showed us that yesterday, showed me that, that he's got to be important. He's got to be more important than anything. Amen. And when he is not, you're in trouble. He'll even use somebody who's not right with the Lord to teach you a lesson about him. Are you guys with me there? Yeah. Let's finish on out. Chapter 5. Chapter 5. God will be glorified 
Idolatry will be penalized. Chapter 5, verse 1. After the Philistines had captured the Ark of God, they took it from Ebenezer to Ashad. Then they carried the Ark of God to Dagon's temple and set it beside Dagon. Of course, Dagon is an idol. When the people of Ashad rose early the next day, there was Dagon falling on his face on the ground before the Ark of the Lord. They took Dagon put him back in his place. I mean, that's what we can do with our idols. God smashes your idol and you take it and you put it right back in its place. You take it, you know, you know, you, you, you tank out on the internet and you do something wicked and then you don't, you don't, you, you put that, you don't, you don't get rid of it. You put it right back in its place. There are a lot of things we can idolize. We, when God puts that idol down, he wants that idol to be in submission to God. And we see that that, that wasn't the case right here. It says, but the following morning when they rose, there was Dagon falling on his face on the ground for the ark of the Lord. His head and hands had been broken off and were lying on the threshold. Only his body remained. That is why to this day, neither the priest of Dagon nor any of the others who entered Dagon's temple to Ashad step on the threshold. The Lord's hand was heavy upon the people of Ashad and its vicinity. He brought devastation upon them and afflicted them with tumors. Many historians believe these tumors were hemorrhoids. Either a bubonic plague, they believe, or hemorrhoids. Both are pretty wicked. When the men of Ashad saw that what was happening, they said, The ark of God of Israel must not stay here with us because his hand is heavy upon us and upon Dagon, our God. You, stop right there. They, they, you see what happens here? They wanted to get rid of God instead of getting rid of their idol. Why? Because the hand of God was heavy on them and their idol. Whatever you idolize, there will come a time where God's hand will get on you. His hand will be on you. Whether it's your job, whether it's your work, whether it's the idol that came into my heart, and it's the reason we're doing this speech today, idolizing the ministry, putting the ministry before God. I'm like, oh, the ministry, the ministry. God's like, uh, what about me, Michael? God will put your idol down. He'll smash it. He'll put he'll put his hand on it. You know, you know one of the things we can idolize? We can idolize our children. Yeah. I, I, idolatry isn't just idolizing something bad. You can idolize that which is good. You can love your kids more than you love God. Well, how do you how, what's the test? Well, you obey your children, you don't obey the voice of God. You obey your children's feelings. Our kids can be slick, man. They're good. They know how to. Even this morning, we had all the kids playing and everything. I had even my little boy. He's man who drink kind of. I need some water. I don't want to sing right. I need some water. You know, oh, you need water right now, huh? Right at church service. Have a seat. Okay. You know. I'm, I'm, I'm father more than I'm his friend or his buddy or his feelings and all these. We in the church, we need to, we need to, for, the, for those of us that love our children, amen, for those of us where idolatry is exposing our children, we, we've got to be willing to see that. Amen. And we've got to be willing to see that, wow, we, we, we've messed up here. And it doesn't make you not an awesome disciple. doesn't make you not a great Christian. But you've got to be willing to see who you aren't in, in, in the eyes of the Lord. You gotta let your eye, and if you idolize your kids, you gotta, you gotta, gotta put them down there. You, you can't put your kids above the Lord because God will put His hand heavy on you 
hand on them. So they called together all the rulers of the Philistines, and they asked, what shall we do with the Ark of God of Israel? They answered, have the Ark of God of Israel moved to Gath. So they moved the Ark of God out of Israel, or God of Israel. But after they moved it, the Lord's hand was against that city, throwing it into great panic. He afflicted the people of that city, both young and old, with the outbreak of tumors, so that they sent... So they sent the Ark of God to Ekron. I mean, the Ark of God is like hot potato right now. Nobody wants the Ark of God. Pew, goes here. Pew, goes here. Get the, get, get. And that's how it is when you share your faith. You go to one person, ask them to submit to God. No, don't go to, go to that person. And they go to that person. You go to that person. Nobody wants the presence of God with them. Shift it to this person. Shift it to that person. It can happen that way in the church when it comes to being raised up as a leader. Oh, let that person do it. Let that person do it. But at the end of the day, we've got to submit to God. Amen. As the Ark of God was entering Ekron, the people of Ekron cried out. They brought the Ark of God of Israel around to, to us, to kill us and our people. So they called together all, Israel, all the rulers of the Philistines and said, Send the Ark of God of Israel away. Let it go back to its own place, or it will kill us and our people. For death had filled the city with panic. God's hand was very heavy upon it. Those who did not die were afflicted with tumors, and the outcry of the city went up to heaven. Such a sad story. Idolatry makes you view God the wrong way. Idolatry, idolatry is just a, it's, it's a bad sin. The issue was they were not willing to deal with the idolatry. Instead of submitting to God, get God out of here. Instead of submitting to the challenges that God, you know, we can do that. Instead of submitting to the challenges God puts in our life, we want God to get out of here. Just take, take the, no more discipling. In Isaiah chapter 30, the people got so hard-hearted that they said, Stop confronting us with the Holy One of Israel. You just stop telling us the truth. <laughs> That's where a lot of churches are. The preacher's speech is for approval. He wants everybody to like him. He's afraid to call the church to give money. For the glory of God, not to build a building. To hire people to go to preach the word. Are you guys with me there? He's afraid to point out, brother, you need to lead. Sister, you need to submit. That is a God-ordained role. That's not less. You're not less than. That's a God-ordained role. Bro, you need to lead. That's a God-ordained role. When the men lead, the women submit, the presence of God is in the relationship. When it's the opposite way around, that's not the presence of God. That's not the presence of God. Idolatry messes up how you view things. They viewed God in a messed up way. Get him out of here. Don't this. Don't do that. If there's anything we can really learn is when God's hand gets on us, we, we, we've got we've to submit to God. And whatever we idolize, we'll get penalized for it. And God will be glorified. God says, it doesn't matter that the ark, my presence isn't with, the, with God's people. God says, God says I'm going to be glorified no matter whether I'm with God's people or with people who are not with God. I'm still going to be glorified. God says, I'm always going to. I'm always going to be glorified. I think for us, we, we, we got to make sure we remember that. God will always be glorified. Right now, this generation, God wants to be glorified 
through us, through the London International Christian Church. He wants, he, he's chosen us. We're, we're the ones. God says, you guys are it. You guys are it. Take the presence with you. Go out to London and preach the word. I'm with you. If we fail to do that, God will be glorified. Whether it's with us or without us, he will be glorified. That should motivate us. That should inspire us that he's chosen us, but it also should put the fear of the Lord in us. Because that's what was lacking right there. The glory had departed. The glory had departed. Let's come in for a close. Chapter 7. Of course, in chapter 6, we understand what happens. They, uh, they, they, uh, they did some pretty foolish things. They tried to worship God in the wrong way by switching up how the cart was supposed to, to be uh, handled. And God struck down a bunch of people there. So you don't mess up how God wants things to be done. You do it the exact way God says to do it, or you, you're going to get discipled. That's what happens in chapter 6. But let's get to the end of the story here, when the glory of God comes right on back. It's chapter 7. It's when Samuel, the man of God, calls the people to account. In verse 1 of chapter 7, 1 Samuel. Well, we'll pick it up, verse 2. It says, it was a long time. 20 years in all, that the ark remained at Kirith Jerem, and all the people of Israel mourned and sought after the Lord. And Samuel said to the whole house of Israel, that's all, all the disciples right there, if you return to the Lord with all your hearts, rid yourselves of your foreign gods, your asterisks, commit yourself to the Lord and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the Israelites put away their bales, their asterisks, and served the Lord only. Then Samuel said, assemble all Israel at Mizpah. I'll intercede to the Lord for you. When they had, when they had assembled at Mizpah, they drew water and poured it out before the Lord. On that day they fasted, and there they confessed. We have sinned against the Lord. It took them 20 years to just cough it up. 20 years of having the trash beat out of them by God. And we look at that and we go, wow, they're so prideful. But yet people do it all the time. They don't really want to become a true Christian the way the Bible teaches until they've gone through two, three, four marriages. The kids are in all kinds of this and all kinds. Now, okay, now I want God. And, and it, we, we see ourselves right here. We're no, we're no better than the Bible right there. I, I just want to make sure we have that, that heart right there. We're not better. It was a long time before they really got humble. But they did get humble, and the victory comes on back. Since we have sinned against the Lord, and Samuel was leader of Israel at Mizpah. When the Philistines heard that Israel had assembled at Mizpah, the rulers of the Philistine camp came up to attack them. And when the Israelites heard of it, they were afraid because of the Philistines. They said to Samuel, do not stop crying out to the Lord our God for us that he may rescue us from the hand of the Philistines. I mean, they're not criticizing. They're like, bro, lead us. Pray. Do well spiritually. You better crank your We are with I mean, they, they are positively behind. You see that right there? Then Samuel took a suckling lamb, offered it up, whole burnt offering to the Lord. He cried out to the Lord on Israel's behalf, and the Lord answered him. While Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to engage Israel in battle. 
But that day the Lord thundered with a loud thunder against the Philistines and threw them into such panic that they were routed before the Israelites. The men of Israel rushed out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines, slaughtering them along the way to the point of below Bethkar. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shem. He named it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and did not invade the Israelite territory again. Throughout Samuel's lifetime, the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines. It says, while Samuel was leading, he always had victory. His lifetime. It wasn't a one-week, two-week thing. It was a lifetime of victory in the life of Samuel. Such a high calling for all of us that call ourselves leaders to bring victory through our worship of God to God's people. So the towns from Ekron to Gath that the Philistines had captured from the Israel were restored to her. Oh, we got some new cities being evangelized. Some new areas getting restored to the Lord here. And Israel delivered the neighboring territory from the power of the Philistines. And there was peace between Israel and the Amorites. Samuel continued as judge over Israel all the days of his life. From year to year, he went on the circuit of Beth to, give, to, Beth to Gilgal at Mizpah, judging Israel and all those places. But he was always went back to Ramah, where his home was. And there he also judged Israel and built an altar there to the Lord. And the church said, from the beginning to the end, Samuel was just focused. Even when they bring the amen, he's still sacrificing. Amen, it's still about God. God will be glorified. And I think there's a lot that we can learn from looking at the heart of the Philistines, the heart of the Israelites, the heart of Samuel here. Truly make it about God. Keep it about God. Focus in on God. As a church, I I, I want to I want to I want to challenge you as a church. I want to challenge you to 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 rededicate your time with God in prayer. Rededicate yourself to prayer. You know, one of the things that was very awesome is we sure were having some incredible victories when we were praying. When everyone in the church, including the leaders, said, I'm going to sign up. I can't wait to be with God at 6 a.m. in the morning. We were having victories, were we not? People were becoming disciples. Let's just call it out. We don't, we don't need the pregnant woman to say it. But glory has departed. The glory has a part. And it ain't because God can't bring victory. Because we're not focused on God. Samuel named that place when they got that victory. Ebenezer. The rock of help. The God of help. They went from the glory departing to the God of help. You can go for, from, from no glory to the God of help in your life. It's your decision. And so we as a church, I, we, we've got to reinstitute that prayer chain right there. God, God is making it clear. You guys are not going to be victory, victorious unless you're praying. You want, you, you want, you've, got to, you've got to continue to pray. You've got to have great times with me. 
I want to challenge every individual. Make sure you get your name on our prayer list. We're going to be instituting that prayer list again. And we've got to make sure that we're praying for God to bring the victories right on in there. Amen. I want to challenge you to rededicate yourself to your discipling relationships. Throw off who they are. Throw off how they've hurt you. Throw off how old they are. Throw off how young they are. Trust that God has put them in your life. Allow the presence of God to really come into your heart to truly motivate you to do it for God. And trust that God has put this individual in your life so that there'll be unity and that we can move forward fighting the real battles. Rededicate yourself to your discipling time. I want to challenge you in your giving. Not to hit your special mission, to blow it out. Why? Because you're doing it for the glory of God. And lastly, I want to challenge you to be happy. I want to challenge you to be happy. Some of you are too young to be walking around with attitudes on your face. You're looking like this. You're down like this. You got shoulders like you got ten kids, and you're you're oh, I'm going through so much. Oh, I got a t- I got an exam. I got an exam. Whoa, you how, how long you got? Let me tell you how bad I got it. <laughs> and some of us married, just quit fighting with your husband and your wife. Just stop it. Just have some fun. Just laugh. We gotta be happy. Life's too short. We gotta be joyful. We gotta be a happy church. Joy indicates that the Lord is with us. To God be all the glory, guys. We would like to thank you for listening to that episode of the podcast. If you would like video versions of these episodes, whether it's sermon highlights or interviews, feel free to check us out on our website or view them on our YouTube channel. That's londonchurch.org.uk. That's L-O-N-D-O-N-C-H-U-R-C-H.org.uk. And for all other updates and information, whether it's services, events, or devotionals, you can find all that on our website also. Once again, we'd like to thank you for listening, and we'll catch you on the next one.